Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Today on the Focus on Why podcast, I am joined by Mel Louisu. Welcome, Mel. Hi, Amy. So glad to be here. Oh, I am so glad to have this incredible, fun, zany, a little bit different lady who talks about when fish climb trees. <laughs> yes, I do. That is my philosophy in life. <laughs> well, it's great. And let's just dive straight in and explain what when fish climb trees philosophy is all about. Okay. So five years ago, I set up my business, having worked in a variety of sectors for over 25 years. And I knew what I wanted to do. And it was it was a culmination of all my experience and where I felt I could make a difference. And it was all around change. And I wanted a name for my organization that really inspired people. So you know what it's like, you come up with all these sort of, I came up with blue sky thinking and, and none of them quite worked. And, and I have a friend and I'd like to say that I came up with the name, but actually he came up with the name and he just went through all different sorts of quotes over a weekend and, and he just sent me all these different ideas. And I remember waking up on the Sunday morning, turning on my laptop, and he'd sent me a few and at the top it was fish climb trees and it just made me smile and I just loved it and then when you realized he'd got his inspiration from that quote you know from that quote that you know everybody is a genius but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree it will spend its whole life believing it's stupid and I just thought, that's it. That's what I'm going to call it. It means nothing to anybody. People can take what they want from it. And, and that was really what started me on that journey. Because for me, I absolutely believe in the power of people. Everybody has the ability to be truly and utterly amazing. And so for me, that that that's the basis of the when fish climb trees philosophy and it's also built on the premise that if you think about when we were our most creative when we learned most effectively it was when we were children and when we were having fun and so it's that whole idea about people are amazing and in order to learn we should have fun so it brings that together and this untapped potential that you see in people, how do you draw it out of them? In a variety of ways. So I, I work predominantly with teams and organisations, but I'm also a qualified NLP, so Neuro Linguistic Programming Coach. So I, I coach people one-to-one -one as well. So I, I work on all different levels. So the individual, the team and the, the organisation. But I think the fundamental is that you have to work 
at a deep level. So when we think about change, people think that, you know, either I, you know, it tends to be, oh, yeah, I, 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 I'm good with change or actually I'm, I'm not. And actually, when you dig underneath change, it's actually incredibly difficult and complex and therefore you need to work with people at different levels and and there's there's three things that impacts that for me firstly it's the understanding that no matter what we might want to do we can't change anybody so there was a piece of research done by john hopkins university in the in the us and they did some research with coronary care patients and they found that after surgery, 90% of people made no change to their lifestyle whatsoever. So they'd look death in the face and they still chose to do nothing about it. So if you think about that and then take that into the work environment and organisations want to, to change in whatever way it might be, it might be culturally it might be in terms of financial performance it might be in terms of customer service even in that environment where you are paying people to do a job you still can't affect change by telling them what to do so you have to work at a, a deep level and the other thing then that comes into play for me is so you've got the whole bit about that people can't change and then it's understanding that and Freud is brilliant with this because he talks about our mind being an iceberg. So we have we have our conscious mind and which sits above the the water level on, on the tip of an iceberg. And then the rest of it that sits below the waterline, which is our, our pre-conscious mind and our unconscious mind. And actually, our behavior is driven by our unconscious mind. So, again, that's at a, a deep level. So I think that it's about understanding that and for organizations it's about opening the door to change so that you can open the door and people can step through it and if you bring people with you then you will affect the change that you want but if you tell people what to do you can't so so they're they're two really important factors and then the other one is around the leadership and, and management and and I think that that is a big area because I think that I don't know why, but as human beings, I don't believe any of us get up in the morning and think, oh, I want to, I want to, I want to pee somebody off today. I want to, you know, want to give them a bad time. But somehow we walk through the door at work and we leave that humanity behind and we leave all of those base skills that we use to, to be a wonderful parent, family member, friend at home because we think we need to put on this professional mask almost and so I think that that that's another area so for me there there are three bits there's understanding that you can't tell people to change it's understanding that you need to work at a deep level and it's looking at that leadership and management and they're the, the three areas for me and they're the three areas that I work in. And by changing the, and creating a different culture within an organisation, what, what benefits does that have for the business or for the university or the charity or whoever you're working for? It creates sustainable change. And I also believe, and I, I have experience of this, so this isn't some ideological theory, but I actually believe that, that 
you drive longer, longer, sustainable and better profit through through doing that, because it is you've brought everybody with you and you create an environment where there is creativity and innovation at every level. And therefore, it may take you longer to do. But actually, when you hit hard times, like we're seeing right at the moment, actually, they're the organisations that will come through rather than those that are so focused on shareholder profit that it's like squeeze everything out, squeeze every, every ounce of energy out of the people that are working for them. So there is no creativity and innovation left. That, that's the reason. So that's the reason why I think people choose to work for me and because it it's slightly different and I think that people do do really want to have fun you you know we 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 are at our best when we are having fun and it's when when we learn and when our creativity comes to the fore so I think that's another reason why people choose to work for, with me and when people are opening that door into the office and they suddenly become this monster that you described in terms of they, they sort of have this persona of needing to be professional and and not show their vulnerabilities. Why is that? Oh, great question. I think there are two there are two factors at play. There's there's what is is expected in a lot of organizations, and then there are our own values and beliefs and fears um and actually for me when when i i'm designing leadership development programs and management programs it's all about actually understanding you as an individual because just like you can't tell somebody what to do the only thing you can impact is 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 your own behavior your thoughts your feelings so I think that, that people do that often for, from a fear point of view. It's their own fears, but, but that translates into unacceptable behaviour to other people. And you see it play out time and time again. And it's just like the, the manager that, that won't delegate because they don't believe anybody could do something as well as them. That comes from a fear. That comes from an ultimate fear. And so, and I think what we do in the work environment is, is we exacerbate that and they, they become our measures for success. So we, we, we measure people on their financial performance and their outputs rather than the process that we don't reward people for the process that they go through. So the fact that they might have to come up with 10 naff ideas to come up with the one that is absolutely brilliant. And so if you, if you're just rewarding that output, people will, will think in a, in a, in a very, in sort of a funnel way that, that, you know, they've got tunnel vision because because that's what the organisation expects. So when you're working with the organisations that come to you for help, what is it they're asking or what do they specifically recognise? And then actually it might might not even be what it is that you actually help them with. I think often it is, well, you know, we just, a team isn't doing what I want it to do. They, they, They don't 
They don't take responsibility. They don't come up with creativity and innovation. They just do what we tell them to do. And it's at that point, really, I'd love to hold a mirror up to them and say, have a look in the mirror and see, see where the issue is. But obviously I don't do that. But, but that is often where it is. It's, it's about a, a lack of, of performance or, well, we want people to engage in a change project. But actually, we spoke to them three years ago. It's taken longer than we thought and we haven't involved them since. Well, if you don't involve them, if you don't engage them in proper conversation, then how do you expect them to be um, engaged and, and want to get involved? So I think that it, they're, they're the reasons that people often in, engage me, but, but what they think are the solutions aren't the solutions. And, and so often it's, a, it's about starting to create that genuine engagement because people will say, oh, well, we've got a change project. And yes, we've communicated with everybody, but actually what it's been is it's been a one hour meeting where really all they've done is taken the key pain points and anybody that's got anything more fundamental than that, it sort of goes on a list that, oh, well, we'll deal with that at another time. And it, it never really gets dealt with. So is that is that really engaging? And is it asking them for the, the solutions? You know, they're, they're the ones working with the issues. Well, what do you think it is? How could we make this better? What would you do? And they're not often not asked even those simple questions. And it's often the simple questions that get the best answers. Yeah, absolutely. So why is it important for you to have this business of helping companies, organisations create a culture or create a changing culture? I suppose because I, I worked for over 25 years for other organizations and I saw so many people just existing. You know, they came to work because they had to earn a salary. They didn't enjoy it. They didn't bounce out of bed in the morning and they just did what they had to do. And that's a really sad way to live your life. Considering that we spend most of our life at work, surely we want to create an environment where people enjoy themselves, like coming to work, and consequently the organization benefits from, from creating that environment. So I think that that, that was, that was my key driver. It didn't become as clear and, until I left. And I knew why I'd left because I wanted to, I wanted to, I've always wanted to work for myself. And, and I got into that whole idea of being paid a salary and it's very safe and it's very hard to get off that once you're on it. But if I look back over my career and I look at some of the mistakes I made, I mean, as a manager in my early, in my early career, I had some fundamental skills. So I was always really good at bringing people with me and communicating. But I have, and I still have it now, I don't like confrontation. And to me, whenever, so when I was working with people that were brilliant and what they did, fantastic, it was, it was wonderful. But have people that needed some help and guidance in terms of, of, of developing themselves and succeeding in their career, I found that really difficult, difficult performance chats. And I made some horrendous 
errors and and was really quite awful and and so I did address that through the personal development that I did but there were so many people around me that didn't and so many people in really senior positions that really didn't behave as you would want them to and it it just it was just awful and I realized so I before I chose to to step off that 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 bandwagon I realized that I was fighting a losing battle so I could I could create effect change for for my team but that didn't mean that the wider organization necessarily understood what I was doing and therefore by stepping off that bandwagon I was able to help other people do it and affect more change and in a greater place so not just in one organization but in lots of different organizations and and that really for me is the important thing I want to see organizations thriving because they have people within them that are thriving and really enjoy what they do because for some people working for themselves they they would never want to do it and that's absolutely fine it shouldn't be that you have to work for yourself in order to really enjoy what you do so so for me that's why I do what I do was it an easy transition for you going from working for companies to then setting up your own business no (laughs) absolutely not it was 2015 was one of the hardest years of my life, I would say. One, because I was so naive about what what it took to to set up a, a business. And if I was to give anybody any advice, I would say, before you take that step, at least have something that you can do. So whether you've got a small contract or you're going to work part time or whatever it might be that you do, because I, I, I walked away and I had nothing and I was really naive about how long it takes to create a sustainable business. Alongside that, my marriage broke down in 2015 as well. And I had two young daughters. So it was a real it was really tough. It was really tough. And. So I was dealing with the, the the personal transformation journey and also then this journey of creating my own business. And I would say it probably took two, two and a half years before I could legitimately say, yes, I have my own business because it was sustainable. <laughs> it wasn't scrabbling around. And but but I wouldn't change it for for the world. And, you know, I've spent five years building it up. The quarter before Christmas was my busiest quarter ever. And then then coronavirus hits and you think, oh, my gosh. But in spite of all of that, there's never been in my mind a thought that, oh, I should go back. I should go into a safe environment. For me, that just that's no longer an option. I love what I do. And and I do believe I'm helping people. And I do believe that I have so much more to give and so much more change to effect that will benefit other people that I would never I would never go back but it ha- it it has been a tough journey I've learned so much about myself and who I am what's important to me and through a lot of the work that I do I really encourage my clients to think about what their values are because values for me is is 
key to that that transformation and and that change because our values and beliefs sit in that part of of our iceberg if you like they sit in our unconscious mind and they are what drives us so if an organization really understands its values then it can find a way to link those values to the organ to the to the people that work there they don't have to be exactly the same you just have to find those threads those that common ground and then that's a way to to effect change um and you know, I've I've learned so much about myself and what's important to me and what I want to do and what I want to be known for. And how easy is it for a company or an organisation to establish the values that they're operating from? So um, <laughs> in my book last year, I wrote a book. I wrote my first book last year, When Fish Climb Trees. And there is a chapter in there and I go on a bit of a rant about organisational values because... I get so frustrated by organisations saying these are our values, you know, integrity, customer service, whatever it might be. One word that you know that have probably been devised in a two hour session with the, the, the board sat in a room going, right, what are our values? It takes so much more than that. And I have worked with organisations just looking at their values and it's about Yes, it is absolutely speaking to the board, but it's about speaking to the people in the organisation. It's about speaking to their customers. And through that, you get a sense of what is important. And last year I worked for a it was a city company and they they wanted to have they were wanting to rebrand and they work in the pension trustee market. And. And it came through a contact of mine and I thought, oh, my God, this is really, I really wasn't expecting it. And and I thought, oh, I'm not sure this is the right fit for me. I do fun. And, you know, they're very serious. They look after pots and pots of money. But actually, when you got underneath the skin of this organisation, they were incredible. And there was and actually what what set them apart was their their sense of fun, the fact that they really cared about their people and that it was the relationships that they built. And we established all of this internally. And then I went to speak to their customers and they were saying, well, you know, this is what we feel, but but our customers need us to be professional and they need us to be, you know, we're, we're dealing with really serious issues here. We, we can't be seen as fun or, you know, a bit informal. And yet when I went and tested it with their customers, that was the exact reason that their customers chose to work with them because they were different. They did have a personality. They were fun. They did care about the relationship. So, you know, there was a a beautiful organization and that organization really made me think about, again, that I have these values, but I had put my thoughts onto what this organization would be like. And they turned out to be completely different. So, and I loved working with them. They were just, they were just great. And everybody in that organization really wanted to be there. And and in all the work that I did, you know how sometimes you'll go into a a business and, and, you know, you'll be stood at the front or you'll be facilitating something and, and, and people won't think that you're listening and you'll hear all that little chit chat and the moans, not, At one point, and I think I worked with them on that project for about three months, did I hear one negative word said about anybody? And you just thought, 
that's the culture, that's your values. And, you know, some of the comments that came out and that for me was what, what their values were about. And if you, and, and I'm sure if you'd given them the opportunity, they could have sat in a room and they would have given you those, those professional words that they thought other people wanted to hear. Whereas actually what we did was we got down and underneath that. And that, and that really gave them sort of heart that they were going in the right direction. They thought they were, but they thought their customers might want something different, but actually they realized that they didn't. And why do you think there is often a disconnect between the brands, the culture and, and the company and the people that are working there? Great question. Because people, I think it's because people do what, what they think other people want of them. So we have this idea that we need to be professional at work uh, and we have a, a personal side to us and a professional side to us. We don't. There's just Amy and there's just Mel. And sometimes we'll be at work and sometimes we'll be at home and sometimes we'll be doing both. And and I think that that's what organisations do. They, they believe they need to be one way and yet they're working in disconnect with what their real values are and what the values are of of their of their people and therefore that's why there is the disconnect and they don't spend the time because it does take time to really understand what's important then what's important to their people what's important to their customers and what they want to be known for and and really known for in in a in a deep way not in a this is not something you can do in a in a couple of hours and it does involve everybody in the organization if you really want to really really want to understand it and at what point did you discover this love for finding people's true genius oh gosh so as I said I was a bit of a nightmare manager in my early days and I and I flew by the seat of my pants I had no no development training I did I did a degree and it was a management degree. And they taught you all the theory, but they didn't tell you anything about what it was actually like. So I, I did the best that I could. Um, and and I, did, I did achieve results. And then I went off and I had, I had my first daughter, Ellie, went back to work after six months. And the university I was at, we had a new training manager and we got on really well. We did a couple of projects together. And then one day he saw me and he said, do you know what, Mel? He said, I really think you would benefit from some coaching. And it was when coaching had, had sort of first come into the, the development arena. And I was like, coaching, I have no clue what you're talking about, but I'll go for it. And so he, he set me up with a coach. And I remember having the first session. And it, it's really interesting because she's probably somebody I would never sort of normally sit in a room with she was very she was beautifully made up very professional she sat opposite me which is not something I would ever choose to do when I'm in a coaching situation with somebody but she must have been so good at what she did because I came out of the first two-hour session and I was literally bounding along and Tim came and saw me and said, how did you get on? I said, it was brilliant. I, it was like the best counselling session ever. I'd spent two hours just there. But I'd had a couple of light bulb moments. And 
And it was fascinating. And that set me on the journey. And interestingly, as part of the work that she did, she did some 360 degree feedback. And, and when she gave it back to me, she said, do you know what? I've never had such positive feedback about anybody. There were still areas for development. And that blew me away because I really didn't have in my head, and I talk about my fishnets in, in my book, but, but my fishnets, the beliefs I had about myself weren't that at all. So it was a real moment of, oh, okay, oh. There were areas to develop, which I absolutely latched onto, and it was like, okay, right, how, how can we work on these? And so that was my first introduction to coaching. And then Tim went off and he did, he did the basic neuro-linguistic programming course. And he said to me, Mel, I think you should do this. I did it. It changed my life. And I, I, I went through a transformation. Prior to that, I'd always been somebody that I would make those snap decisions. I'd see you. I'd make a decision about whether I liked you. If I didn't like you or I didn't feel that we were the same, I couldn't communicate with you. I found it very difficult. After 10 days of being immersed in neuro-linguistic programming, I came out and it, it, was a, it started that journey of recognising that we're all different. My reaction to you is not about you. It's about me. And what does that say about me? And now I just have a curiosity about everyone. And if there is a reaction there, then I'm curious as to what is driving that rather than associating it with, well, that means that they don't like me and therefore I can't work with them. So I did my basic and then I did my master NLP. And through doing that, my career went up tenfold. I mean, I, I, I went to a university as sales and marketing manager and within nine months I'd been made an, an assistant director and then three years later I became director of campus services. So I had 600 people working for me, 21 different business functions, 30 million pound budget. It was, you know, it was in, incredible. And, and I would say all of that success came from the fact that I started to develop myself and look at what I needed to do. And, and it was through changing me that I was then able to help other people affect change. So that was what really kicked me off. And, and, and now I'm just fascinated. I'm fascinated by people and why we do what we do. And I'm, I want everybody to sort of enjoy the journey that I've been on. And I think often, again, in, in, in business, there's, there's executive programs for the senior leadership team, but we don't look at uh, sort of everybody in the organisation and we don't look at that middle and new management levels. And I think that that's where the, the, the gold dust really happens because often in an organisation, my experience is that you'll go in and there'll be somebody at the top that knows what they want to do. They know what they want to achieve and will design a program. And then the people on the front line will completely get what, what it's about. But the people that get stuck are the middle and new managers. So, you know, they're getting this change of direction. They haven't figured out who they are. And, and then they're trying to affect that change. And so 
So for me, a lot of the work that I do, I want to make it accessible to everybody because there's this thought that, you know, leadership books should should be tough and challenging to read. And actually, I, why? Why does that have to be the case? And why do you need to be a senior executive to have access to, to that thinking and that, that development? Because if we believe that everyone has the ability to change, then everyone should have access to it. I totally agree. And, and it sounds by, by the sounds of things, universities float your boat particularly. Why is that? I think <laughs> my dad is an academic and he is one of my biggest inspirations. He has, he's a professor of computer science. He could have gone out and earned a fortune, but he didn't. He chose to stay in one university for the whole of his career. But I've never met anyone who's so happy, so content and he says he spent his whole life doing his hobby. I mean, how many of us would, would like to do that? So I fell into, into universities. I did a degree in hospitality management. I went out and worked in the sector for a couple of years. And I had a really bad experience. So it, it was awful. I got made redundant, had a general manager from, some people may remember Trust House 40. They were, they were a big hotel brand. He was awful. He treated me really badly. And I came out of that and thought, I don't I don't want to work in the hospitality industry anymore. And then these jobs came up in universities working on the commercial side. So sort of selling the the facilities they had when students weren't there for conferences and events. And I thought, well, my dad's always been happy in universities. Why don't I try that? And I did. And then 20 years later, it's like, oh, OK, right. Now I need to go do something else. But it, it was fantastic. And I think there's a part of me that is an academic. I love learning. I love development. But I don't want to do research. It needs to be I need to be out there doing it. And, and I think that's the fundamental difference. And we did have a laugh when, when I was writing my book, my dad kept saying to me, so have you got, have you got your references in there? I was like, there are no references, dad. There is no, it's not an academic book that you wrote. This is a, this is a business book. It's like, oh, okay. So where are the references? It's like, there are no references. So um, yeah. And it's just, it, do you know what? I, I love that sector particularly because they are training the people of tomorrow. They're training our future and they're big and complex organisations. And there is that, there's a, there's a disconnect sometimes between the research that academics want to do. And then now universities are a business and how do you affect that change? And they're great at, at sort of creating the people of tomorrow but they don't always look at the people that are within the organisation. And I mean the people that aren't academics. And there are a lot of people within universities that go to supporting how a university runs. So, yeah, they're big and complex and I speak their language and I love them. <laughs> so what would you say your mission is, Mel? What are you looking to achieve? I would like people, more and more people to adopt the the, the when fish climb trees philosophy 
So the, the, my book is entitled When Fish Climb Trees Can Do Leadership in a World of Can't. And I think that that is the absolute premise, taking people, taking people from can't to can will then take teams from can't to can, which will then take organisations from can't to can. And, and when we start to look at that, what can you achieve? What can you do? I mean, what better philosophy is that? And, and I think that if you look at research, the biggest regret people have when, you know, when they're at the end of their lives is not that they wish they'd worked more or that they'd earned more money. It was that they wished they'd lived the life that they they could live and and for me that that is so true and and by moving from from can't to can you're on that ladder to creating the life that you want whether that be at work or at home and I think you, you mentioned the the impact NLP has had on your life and I think NLP is incredible I haven't done the formal training but I have read a lot of books around it and I've adopted a lot of it into my everyday life and also the coaching do but it is it's very much all about language and perception and the reality that you have your filters it it's incredible it just is it seems like a basic tool that everybody should should have mm. It, 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 it is phenomenal and it was interesting when I was doing my training there were a lot of learning and development people on it in fact I was the only one that wasn't from a learning and development background I was there as a manager who wanted to be a better manager and so for me I very much took the language and, and the fact that you know well well I'll try and do that well if you say you'll try and do that you're giving yourself an excuse not to do it um well I, I could never do that well never really are you sure about that and and all those those suppositions that we have it, it's so powerful and then nowadays in when I am coaching one-to-one -one, I use a lot of those NLP techniques because they're they're pattern interrupts and and that's what we need to do we need to interrupt our, our patterns of behavior we need to interrupt our patterns of thinking because then we can do something differently and that means we can go from being can't people to being can people. I think a lot of people don't even realise the language they use on an everyday basis and how much that does affect their ability to, to can do things, yeah. to, to be able to do things. It, it is really quite striking the, when you start to notice what you say. And yes. you're very, very aware of that. And I, I remember even my journals that I keep, the difference in the language became quite clear for me after reading about it. And it was very pivotal in, in the success that then you know, has come since. Yeah, absolutely. And if I look at my, my daughters, I have one who wants to be an accountant and one who wants to be um, an actress so completely completely different but but it frightens me sometimes especially my younger daughter is is well she's 14 now but she wants to be an actress and just hearing some of the language that she uses about herself and and so and it shocks me because I think where has that come from but already she has she's giving herself these negative messages and and it's no so every time she does it it's like well I can't do this well shall we see whether maybe you can do this and and you know so it is it is really interesting and we get into that way very young so you know when we're in the work environment they they 
those trains of thoughts are embedded. And that's why the work that I love doing that I really want to do is, is working at a deep, deep level within organisations to change that. But you are looking at years of, of what people bring with them. And I think that's that legacy, that sort of long term thought that will drive the success of an organisation instead of just thinking about the short term return for the shareholders. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and in the end, that 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 will give you a sustainable organisation that will see through difficulties like we're seeing at the moment. Absolutely. Well, Mel Luizu, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today. I'm so happy that you can share your when fish, when fish climb trees philosophy with everybody. It is a refreshing uh, change to the way that leadership is is sort of thought about and and can be changed. You know, it's 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 fantastic that you've written this bright pink fish filled book that people should definitely have um, a flick through and then actually realize that they need to read it from cover to cover because it's got so much content in there and it's fun thank you I've really to, to be able to talk about what I love to do and what I believe is is wonderful so thank you so much for the opportunity oh it's an absolute pleasure and how could people get in contact with you Mel so I'm on all the usual social media channels LinkedIn Facebook Twitter I have a website, um, fishkindtrees, www.fishkindtrees.co.uk. My book is available on all good online retailers, so Amazon. Or if you really want to, you can pick up the phone as well. Always happy to have a chat. And there's something else that you do as well. The PSA, would you like to mention that? Oh, yes. So, oh, gosh, we didn't even get a chance to talk about that <laughs> speaking journey, which is not what you may have thought. But yes, so currently I am co-president of the Southeast region of the Professional Speaking Association with the wonderful Jez Ray, who I believe you've also spoken to as well. I have. He's going to be on too. Fab. So the Professional Speaking Association, an absolutely brilliant organisation for anyone that wants to or does speak professionally. And that doesn't necessarily mean on a big stage with 500 people in the room. It could be be trainers that are training 10 people or people, salespeople that just want to pitch better, whatever it may be. It's um, a wonderful organization there are regions all over the country we meet down in kent but they're they're all over the place and of all the organizations i joined when i set my business up five years ago there are only two that i'm still members of and one is a professional speaking association so i would highly recommend it for anyone that wants to develop their speaking and just spend some time with a range of amy you and i would never have met if it wasn't for the professional speaking association from a world of, of different organizations where you can get so much inspiration and knowledge and really develop yourself so, well yeah. I totally endorse that and it was a, a, such a an eye-opener to me it was a it was a 
breath of fresh air walking into the room and speaking to people I knew I knew one face um that was Rosemary I knew Rosemary from before because she'd been coming to my network events that I've been hosting so that was lovely a surprise uh, and then I was it was filled I mean we were just at the beginning of of thinking about going into lockdown so that it was all elbow nudging at the time it was that social distancing and then obviously we, we've had since then we've had them online but I, I highly recommend looking to go and see your PSA local PSA meeting in fact it was recommended in um, Sam Rathling's book LinkedIn bound and she said go to your PSA and that's how I came to the one because I was reading her book and I literally bought my ticket there and then and so taking action on both accounts always Um, and then it's it was a case of went there didn't know what to expect and didn't quite follow the rules because I didn't know and I'd written you have to give feedback on someone's talk and then they, they you go through that with them and you give them the even better ifs and then you hand it in and I'd, I'd written all these notes for my own personal um, reference of like how I could take things so I, I was like reluctantly handing in these notes that I'd written but it's fine I took photos so I've got them there but I, it was such a great opportunity to meet people from different industries to have that sort of cross fertilization of of connections and insights and the way people do things in different ways I thought that was really really interesting for me yeah it is it's it's it's, it's a brilliant organization and it's why I'm still there five years after I joined and uh, that now I'm I'm volunteering to to be a, a regional pre- president because it it you know with these organizers it's like anything in life if you want something out of it you have to you have to give out and um, the PSA is one of them. So yes, and I wouldn't be sat here talking to you right now if we hadn't. Now our paths would not have crossed. So exactly. So what I would love for you to do is if we just leave the audience with a final sort of message, something important to you. I would say that actually, if if you're if you sat there and and listened to this podcast or even you know, not necessarily listen to this podcast, but there is something within your life that you know isn't working for you, then I would urge you to be brave and to to look at, really understand why that is and and to make the change because we only, it, it sounds twee, but we only have one life and you don't want to be one of those people that gets to the end of your life and wishes that you'd done things differently so it's not easy it is it's a continual journey you will have ups and downs but but don't don't be a person with regrets Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star iTunes review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of the inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.